Blog Talk Radio. edition on the Fight Network. Don Henderson hosted this evening, and we're going to talk sports for the next hour and 45 minutes. Look forward to some of your telephone calls and sports conversation. Our hosts around, our normal host of Roy Cummings, cannot be with us tonight. He will be with us next week. 
we've got a very, uh, very, very ample replacement coming up in just a couple of seconds. But I can tell you this, that the Braves won this afternoon against the A's. The Mets won this afternoon 5-1 to in Pittsburgh, and they're leading game number two with the Grom on the hill by a score of 4 to nothing. So if uh, the Mets win the second half of this doubleheader, they'll remain a half game up on uh, the Braves. But at the same time, Scherzer has now been lost for 15 days. He should only went out of his last start after the third inning. Had to retire because of a sore right side. Well, that developed into now a 15-day IL. So he's going to be out of the picture, which is going to make it very, very difficult for the Mets to uh, retain that lead in the National League East, which they've had for such a long period of time. We'll talk about that with Roger Henry. He's in Atlanta. We'll talk football as well. Aaron Judge, well, he hit another home run today. That's number 55. The New York Yankees had to go 12 innings. It just ended 10 minutes ago at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees won up by a score of 5-4. to four. And as I say, Judge uh, hit number 55. However, the Yankees have to come right back and play another game tonight because of last night's rainout. So they won't get started for about 15 or 20 minutes on their second game. And as I said, the Mets... They knocked the Pirates this afternoon 5-1, to one, and they're leading 4 to nothing in game number two, which is going on as we speak. At the helm, as always, Frank Carroll, our executive producer, and also the man that drives the ship. Anything to report tonight or a commercial that we got to get started with, Frank? No, John. Uh, this, uh, this program is brought to, you, brought to you, folks, each and every night, a grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women police fire services, first responders, and the doctors and nurses at the hospital, and especially those wonderful people that clean up after everything at the hospital. And we want to thank each and every one of you. Our listenership this year is up by 32%, um, which puts us up to 286,324 uh, listeners last week worldwide. ReliQuest, our guest, and that, of course, as always, as we talk about Require Quest, it's a new name for the bowl, which is going to be in Tampa, Florida on New Year's Day, as always. And uh, we're very fortunate enough to get Mike Schulte, who is Director of Communications and has been for over 30-plus years for the bowl. And uh, with college football starting last weekend and what games we had last weekend, for those of you that were fortunate enough to see them, first of all, Mike Schulte, thank you very much for joining us the first uh, half hour of the program. And how about the first weekend of football? Let's start with your backyard, Florida State against uh, the competition. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I'll tell you, what a way to kick off the full week, uh, weekend of college football uh, this past weekend. There were some amazing games, uh, some surprising outcomes, but mostly a lot oh, of crazy finishes. I think you have your, think you have your TV um, and, uh, or something and, on and in the background there. Nope, not me. Okay, okay, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, um, no, I was just saying, what a what a what a way to kick off the the 2022 college football season with all the craziness that happened last weekend. Um, not not necessarily uh, just surprising outcomes, but uh, some some wild finishes and some very uh, very competitive and and exciting games. So what a what a great way to kick it all off. Well, very, very interesting because certainly you with Tampa are very interested in what happened to Florida and Florida State. Both of them got off to a pretty good start. But the Florida State uh, was uh, 
just a miraculous game. I know that we talked a little bit about Kelly taking over at LSU last week and uh, the difficulty he would have going into the SEC, but I don't think he ever expected anything like what happened to him on Saturday night. Well, you know, the, you know, LSU had a, you know, they they had a, you know, a couple things that happened that didn't go their way, um, which, you know, I mean, first game of the season and uh, for them, I believe, and you know, new coach, uh, new schemes, and so forth. I mean, you know, and sometimes things happen. The ball bounces the wrong way, and and they had some things go wrong for them, and they had some things go right for them. Uh, but you know, Florida State, to give them credit, they hung in there. They fought hard. Um, they definitely look like an improved team over last year. I think they they've taken you know the improvement that they made over the course of last year, and and definitely build on that, especially with their quarterback situation he uh he was a houdini there quite a bit yesterday you know the other day uh escaping that that pass rush of lsu and um you know just did uh did a, a good solid job and they did just enough to win right so that's that's at the end of the day that's that's the name of the game so it was definitely mm-hmm. a, a very exciting game and and i think both programs are going to only improve from from this point forward well, I'll give Kelly a lot of credit. He stepped right up after the game and then also on Sports Center following the game. I don't know if he had a chance to see it or not. Uh, but stepped right up and took uh, the coaching staff, take, uh, took the primary blame for what happened in the loss of the game. First of all, the changes they had to make in the offensive line on the extra point they missed. Then, of course, the, the, the game-tying extra point, which they missed uh, uh, with one second to go in the game and uh, what happened at the end. And he and the coaching staff uh, took primary responsibility well, it, for well, that. Well, it was it was it was blocked though. It was it, it, yeah, it wasn't missed. It was blocked. That's a, that's the difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. maybe, it wasn't on maybe the in your book it was different. But when <laughs> when I saw the ball go go down and was blocked, you're absolutely right. But it was missed. <laughs> but let's go back a minute because there's one other point I like to ask you about, and that was the pitch. I don't understand. They had the game won. Florida State had the game won on several occasions, but primarily in the last minute and a half. They're on the, the one-yard line. Why would you pitch the ball? All you have to do is you're, you're going to run the clock out at worst and leave it on the one-yard line, or you're going to score. But to pitch the ball and put yourself in jeopardy that it would be fumbled as it was to give uh, LSU any type of chance seems an awfully stupid move to me. Well, you know, things happen. I mean, you know, I don't know what was called or what wasn't called, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. They, but yeah, it was, it was that was a tough situation. Well, especially because you know they could have they could have just settled for a field goal at some point during that possession and and uh, and gone up by two scores and they wouldn't have had to worry about you know them coming down the field afterwards. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, there there were there were things that happened on both both sides that were that were tough. You know and. And I, I know what you're saying about Kelly, you know, with the stepping up. But uh, at the same time, you know, he did he didn't muff two punts, punts, uh, punt returns either. Um, so you know, it, it's you know, as, as they say, it's yeah, a but he also game took and, blame for that. And he said, I, I picked the wrong guy. He said our, our staff picked the wrong guy to field the punt. That, that's a coaching mistake by us. We we thought he had the the ingredients to do it during training camp, and uh, and we were wrong. So he took responsibility for that as well. Yeah. All right, let's let's yeah. Roger, let's well, bring you in from Atlanta. Good. I don't know whether you saw that, that game, Roger, or whether you want to talk about uh, Georgia's dominance of Oregon. But uh, uh, you you pick it. Talk whether you want to finish up with a 
with the LSU game or whether you want to go to Oregon, Georgia? No, no, no. I saw the game, okay? And I've done a lot of reading. Brian Kelly's not thought of very, very well right now in the bayou, let me tell you. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about that, that it was mm-hmm. going to be a whole different world for Brian Kelly coming mm-hmm. into the SEC. Well, forget the SEC. How about the ACC? Right, Mike? Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, Florida <laughs> State looks good. But I'll tell you what, I'm concerned about Brian Kelly and LSU. But it's only the first game. The dogs look great. Okay? They're back. Uh, you know, they're number three. It got, what yeah, it I moved go? up today, uh, Roger. They're number two. They're number two. Okay. And uh, they they look great. I'll tell you, the other uh, game uh, was uh, Clemson, uh, Georgia Tech. And and I'll tell you, Mike and Don and Frank, what was hilarious, the, the press release with the recap that came out initially had Georgia Tech winning what was it, 41 to, uh, what was it, 10 or something, 11, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to correct that. <laughs> but I picked up on it, and I sent it to Larry Litwin, uh, my, Dan, Don, and then he got back to me, and then he said when he saw it, uh, you know, I sent him the original, and then he said they corrected it. But I couldn't believe that they somebody didn't cross-check that to go nationally or internationally with Tech scoring 41 points. But I think it just shows you how good uh, uh, Dabo is uh, and the uh, Clemson Tigers are going to be again this year. Mike, uh, any other particular game over the weekend before we go to this week? Because, boy, there's a big week of football on on tap this week. Any other game that you'd like to uh, touch on a little bit? Well, I thought the I thought the Florida Utah game was was really uh, exciting as well. Um, you know, back and forth game. Um, uh, Florida had a huge huge goal line stand. Uh, I think it was in the second quarter, maybe or third quarter. Um, you know, with with uh, Utah, I think Utah had six second down and goal on the six inch line, and they were able to to hold them to no score, um, and that was key. And of course, you know, at the end, Utah came down and. They could have kicked a field goal to tie it, but they they tried to force a pass in the end zone that was picked off, uh, to, you know, to secure the, the victory for Florida. But I think that was a huge, huge win for Florida. Um, you know, after the way that they they finished the second half of, of last season, um, and you know, obviously having a new coach come in, and for them to get a a signature win. Uh, right out of the blocks this year, uh, I think was was really critical for them, uh, and and will give them you know a lot of confidence as well as momentum, you know going in the you know the, the the next few weeks of their schedule. So uh, I thought that was a huge huge win for them, and, and a really entertaining and exciting game you know for everybody. So uh, I think that was a that was a one of the big games that stuck out in my mind this weekend. Spent hey, a lot Mike, of time over the question. weekend talking about the uh, lack of, you know, competitive uh, competition within the state of Florida that we normally would see. Uh, talked about obviously Florida State, uh, Florida, and now Miami has come on a little bit. They've won their first couple of games, so it looks like maybe the state of Florida is going to start to make a little move back, Mike. Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, it seems that way. I mean. 
again, you know, you, you've got, uh, um, you know, Florida State, uh, I hope hopefully, you know, starting to turn the corner now um, in, um, in Coach Nor- Norvell's uh, third season there. Uh, you got a new coach at Florida, new coach at Miami. So um, a lot of new things happening. But as we've talked about, too, I mean, it goes back to this, this you know, the portal, uh, you know, in college football especially, you know, it's helping a lot of teams get, get better and get healthier, what have you, uh, a lot quicker than they would be if they were just relying on, you know, incoming freshmen, you know, a couple, you know, recruiting classes or whatever to, to try and, you know, uh, change out your roster a little bit. Um, so I think that's really uh, helping uh, some programs. And, and I think it's uh, going to be really interesting to see, especially over the next few weeks here, how, how these portal uh, portal transfers have have changed the face of, of college football a little bit. I, I saw a stat on the college game day this past weekend that I believe it was like 44% of starting quarterbacks um, in the in the Power Five at least uh, um, conferences you know uh, programs um, are transfers or, or 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 have transferred at some point you know through the portal either this year or or maybe the previous year. And that just shows you, um, you know, the movement that's out there and the potential of teams to, to get a player that can help them right away. Mike Schulte, our special guest this half hour. We're talking college football, obviously, and director of communications for the Alliance Quest as uh, we chat with him and what's going to happen with the bowl. Before I go to Roger, uh, actually, uh, in all honesty, the tickets go on sale. I think you told us. Uh, last week that it's going to be not this week but the following week is that right? Uh, actually, you know, it'd be around the end of October. Our tickets will be going on sale. Yeah, end of October. And there's several different ways to get, yep. uh, you know, special boxes, uh, uh, group tickets, a uh, number of things. That yeah, you, we have, uh, yeah, we have. Yeah, we have we have uh, we we have uh, premium uh, seat packages, uh, uh, club member packages that we sell uh, through the bowl office, uh, where, where you can get a package of, of clubs tickets, along with invitations to key uh, VIP events leading up to the game and so forth. Um, but then individual tickets will go on sale around the end of October. So I'll have information about that as we get closer. But uh, we're very excited about the ReliQuest. Uh, uh, being on the, the the bowl game this year and as our new title sponsor and uh, uh, very exciting that uh, looking forward to this year's game. Mike, you still have the uh, you still have the the uh, agreement with uh, um, the TV people that you'll be the first bowl on or do you have any? I haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to be yeah we're going to be twelve uh, twelve o'clock now. This year's game is actually on Monday, January second this year. We're not on New Year's Day this year because New Year's Day falls on a Sunday this year. And so whenever that happens, every so many years, the New Year's Day games are moved to January second, which is a Monday, which becomes the national holiday. So uh, we'll us the Rose Bowl, uh, you know those guys, will, Citrus Bowl and so forth, will be on monday january 2nd this year and we will kick off at noon so we'll be the first first game to kick off on that day to lead into the rose bowl and, and so forth as we usually do Roger. Yeah, you don't need to complete uh, compete against the nfl on a sunday especially at that time of year mike my, my question yeah the, is, yeah whenever when 
Yeah, whenever 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 New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, the NFL the games are all moved to the Monday the second, which becomes the the you know the, the national holiday on uh, yeah. that people. And observe. that happened. Yeah. A, yeah, that happened a few years ago. I remember. Okay, the uh, wasn't that long ago. But here's here's my question. Um, yeah, yeah. Got, I, I'm looking at Florida State really uh, turning it around. Uh, you know, Florida. I mean, they're already in the SEC. Uh, with these super conferences, with the expansion in the SEC, uh, what do you think happens to the ACC? Do you think that they expand where they could bring in uh, some new teams, uh, some new uh, colleges uh, that, you know, are uh, maybe, you know, at this at the next level uh, down, but that would give them a better uh, shot at recruiting? I mean, I, I just uh, don't know. I mean, the what's going to happen because you're going to, you know, the SEC, the Big Ten, they keep on expanding, and uh, I worry about the ACC. What's your thinking about it? Well, I don't know. Just my, my personal opinion. I I, I, I really don't know. I, I I think I think that they'll they'll probably not 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 look at expanding, but I don't know anything, you know, inside about that. Um, I, I, you know, the, the key about expanding is expansion needs to do something for your conference. Right. Um, so it needs to, uh, provide, um, uh, more than anything, most, most, most of the expansions that are, are being done, uh, in recent years, at least, um, it's, it has a consequence financially, uh, big enough consequence financially to do it. Uh, and that's primarily through uh, television dollars and, and so forth. And I think, I think you saw that probably with the big 10 conference, you know, when they announced uh, bringing in uh, that they're going to bring in USC and UCLA on the West coast um, to add to their, to their team, their, their uh, uh, conference, you know, you know, as they were negotiating their new TV deals, and the fact that they, you know, got just record TV deals that are going, that's going to probably um, increase each school's uh, a portion that they get on an annual basis from their TV deals and, and, and so forth by fi- as much as $50 million a school. That makes, you know, thing, and, and expanding those, you know, bringing those other teams in and teams on the West Coast, which gives the TV audience new you know, uh, networks you know team games on the west coast and all that new sure. markets yeah so i mean that that's what you see a lot of the time when you see these moves and i and i you know the, the question is going to have to be for any conference to, to continue to expand or 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 a, a acc or big 12 or anybody is what are what are the teams that are out there that could bring us um uh a, you know either either name teams that could really um elevate our conference or a geographical region that we don't already have that will help us with our TV revenue uh, streams. So the question is, you know, are there teams out there that could really uh, help uh, the ACC in this case, for for your question, um, uh, you know, uh, enough to make it worthwhile, um, you know, to do that. And, you know, that's the question. I know did what everybody wanted to do five years ago, and that was, expand the number of teams and you're not just working with four teams you're working with now a large not right this year but as you look down the line you're working with a lot more teams going into the playoffs rather than just four 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, the thing about the playoff—you're right about the playoff, uh, the expansion, the 12 teams. But you know, they already have 12 teams that they place now. Okay, so currently there's six what they call New Year's Six games, which is just a marketing name. But there's six bowl games right now uh, that they place that the committee places 12 teams into. Okay, uh, four of them are in the semifinal games that, you know, for the actual playoff part. And then the others are placed, you know, by the committee into the four other games. Well, you know, you you know, the expanded playoff is still going to be 12 teams that are going to be placed, you know, and this time it's, you know, in this case, it's going to be, you know, in a playoff versus, you know, they're all going to be in a playoff instead of just four bowls and two, two and two bowls in a playoff. But so 12 is 12, you know, so, um, there's not going to be any less teams um, that are available outside of that group of 12 um, for the bowl games, you know, um, you know, that, that exists today and, and will exist, you know, in four years. So, so, no, but it doesn't guarantee a conference like the ACC or one of the uh, small, like Cincinnati got in last year, it's going to guarantee teams like that an mm-hmm. opportunity to get into the 12. Yeah, well, they, like I said, though, they're already in the 12. They just – just now all 12 will be competing in the playoffs instead of just four. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? So – so, so, uh, but, yes, you're right. I mean, they'll, they'll have more teams in the, quote, playoff potentially. Uh, what year does that just start? playing in, in a bowl what game. What year does that and, start? And not advancing. Well, they, right, well they, they, right now, they, it, you know, not, everything is in place until the 26th season. Uh, they've talked about potentially looking to see if there's an opportunity to start it earlier than that. But as of right now, um, it, it's, it'll be the 26th season. So uh, the, last it question, won't be Roger. any earlier than the 24th season. So. Last question, Roger. Well, I was just, uh, you know, going to follow up uh, with that. And I think, uh, you know, it will uh, allow some, uh, teams to uh, compete and get, have a chance that maybe they haven't in the past. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just concerned about uh, some of these conferences because uh, I can remember when South Carolina, and you remember, Mike, uh, when they were an independent, you know, before they uh, they were right initially years ago in the ACC, then they went independent, and then they wind up in the SEC. Am I not right about that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. and that's that's what I I would yeah, like it, to see the ACC. I think it, it used to be known more as a basketball conference, in my opinion, and uh, and it's expanded. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah. I would like to see it expand to get some other schools uh, that maybe in in uh, more northeastern markets. Yeah, and they and you know maybe they'll do that. Um, you know, like you said, I just I don't I haven't heard anything about it. But I, you know, again, the key though is that if they're going to do it, it's got to be it's got to have it's got to have a something that is going to add to the conference in some way that makes financial sense other than just adding sense, additional right. teams. Because if if yeah, financially right. Because if because if if all you're doing is adding additional teams and they're not bringing in a a significant added value for revenue then all the teams in the conference are dividing up the pie among more teams. So each team right. gets less, right? Less, so less if pie. the dollars yeah. don't increase enough to 
to offset that, then you get, then you, you know what I'm saying? So, so it, you know, cause otherwise you're just saying, Oh, we're going to split up the pie even more. And now each person gets, each school gets less. That's not how these, these things typically operate. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a situation saying, well, if we bring in additional, these additional teams, whoever they are, then our revenue for everybody is going to go up. Even when we have to share it with two extra teams or four extra teams. Mike, we got to so, hold it right so there. We got to hold all, it right there for it's this about week. The money. Mike, yeah, thank you very, very much for jumping money. in so quickly with us. And we'll look forward down the road as we get back together again. And uh, we'll talk more about your bowl and more about college football as you, uh, you follow it as closely as almost anyone. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. I appreciate Take care, it. Hey, Mike. Back in the college you. football. Life is good. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate You're right it. about that. <laughs> Mike Schulte, our guest in the first half hour. But right now we're going to go down to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the Phillies, by the way, are leading at uh, Citizens Bank Park. And they won last night. And it looks like they're going to run the way to win tonight. Uh, but they were 11 games back starting today. And uh, so we're not too worried about It's just can they make the playoffs. That's, uh, that's really the story in Philadelphia right now. And nobody knows more about Philadelphia sports than Tom LeMaine for uh, – whether it's hockey, whether it's baseball, basketball, football with the Eagles, we'll get to all of them. Tom, first of all, welcome to the show. And secondly, I'll let Roger start off with a first question for you. Well, Tom, the, uh, let's, let's talk about the Phillies. Uh, what's your opinion? Do they make the playoffs? Sure. Uh, the concern I have, uh, they're a very interesting team. You know, they, I can't remember a team that wins one game 18 to two and then gets beat 12 to one the next day. <laughs> uh, you you you, uh, you can't have that kind of uh, you can't have that kind of baseball going when you get into the playoffs and it's the best of three series. Right. You know, I mean, you 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 you're, if you're in one of those downers, you're you're going to lose the first two games and it's going to be all over. However, if you're on one of your uppers, uh, you can win the first two games. And it's going to be over. But the fact that it's a three-game series, uh, you want a little, uh, not, not a little, you want a lot more consistency uh, coming into the end of the season, coming into a playoff series uh, that is round one of the playoffs in Major League Baseball. That, now, that, I'm let me throw this to you. The, the, the Phillies have been great at times. They've won winning streaks, but they beat bad teams. They don't beat right. good teams. And right. right now, they're back with a bad team, Miami. They won last night in the ninth inning again. Bad team. Got a, got a base hit in the bottom of the ninth inning to win the game by a run. But they don't they don't beat evenly competitive or better teams. Uh, well, I disagree. They've lost to some really bad teams. <laughs> I mean, Arizona's not one of the, uh, you know, rolling stones of a baseball uh, no, they you're right about they, they, they came out of the All-Star break losing three in a row to the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubbies aren't up there. Uh, they didn't look too good. Even though they beat Pittsburgh, they beat Pittsburgh four games. Uh, but they, you know, and in the games that were in Arizona, I mean, you get up on Arizona seven to nothing. You know, it's right. a late game. Everybody on the East Coast is saying, okay, game's over, going to bed. You wake up the next day, and they lost that game to Arizona. <laughs> Arizona? I mean, I can see maybe the Dodgers coming back, you know, or some hit machine that's, uh, you know, really running up the scores in Major League Baseball. But you don't lose a game like that to Arizona. So, um, you know, I, I disagree, Don. They, they, they've lost some games to uh, below average teams that they should have won. 
and uh, therefore they, uh, they, you know, they should have padded their lead in the uh, playoff uh, positions even more. Roger. Well, yeah, the one thing is the Phillies, I believe, are uh, even 500 against the Braves, six and six. But, of course, they have to play the Braves a number of times. And I think what's going to be interesting uh, is going to be that last series, which is in Houston, depending on whether the Astros have clinched, uh, whether they have the best record. Who knows, you know, what it'll be then. But uh, I think that's going to be a tough road to – Oh, at that last uh, that last series. But I did want to ask you uh, to, uh, because the hockey's coming up very shortly, Tom. And um, what do you think uh, with the Flyers? Do you see them being a much improved team? I mean, they've got the new coach and everything. But do you see where personnel-wise they have uh, improved so they can really move up a little bit uh, this coming year, not being considered like real uh, lost uh, team last year. Well, when you say personnel uh, improvements, to me, that means guys who are injured are going to play this year. I'm not not talking about play. I'm not talking about players who have been added to the personnel. Personnel Mm -hmm. are uh, the players that we're talking about are guys who were there last year, but didn't play. And essentially, there are several of the younger players. Uh, Mm -hmm. Evidently, the thinking of uh, the front office is to go with the younger players. And, uh, you know, they made one trade. You got a, you know, a veteran defenseman in D'Angelo. But I think, uh, I think if these young players, everybody says, if you're healthy, you're going to be okay, fine. And injuries are a part of every game. However, uh, the, the key players for the Flyers who were injured last year, uh, the first, the first and the second line centermen were out a good part the first-line centerman was out for most of the year. Second-line centerman did play, but I believe he played injured. And then guys like Allison and uh, guys who were uh, really pegged to uh, play uh, as rookies or, sec- or second-year men in the Flyers organization, a Flyers team, they didn't get a chance because they were injured. So when you say personnel changes, the personnel changes, Roger, are players who were injured that are going to play this year. That's the big – and I really – The big, you go back the to, big rebound. I, go back, I think so. I really do. And I go back to what uh, Rasmus Ristolainen uh, said when, when he signed the – you know, I may be the only Ristolainen fan in Philadelphia. I just love the guy. And I'd say, okay, right, his, his analytics and his stats don't add up and everything. But what he's a presence on the ice. And he's a kind of presence on the ice that when he's out there, guys are looking over their shoulder. And when you do that, it takes away from your game. He may not put up the numbers, and you may say, "Oh man, you know he's not a, you know, not a, not a defenseman that's going to grab headlines and everything." But his presence on the ice is felt in many ways, and one of the ways is other player, the other team's always looking for him because he's such a physical presence, and he could be a guy's going to knock you into the boards any minute. But he said when he was uh, a free agent, and he signed with the Flyers, the money was around five, five and a half million, no matter who he was going to go to. But he said mm-hmm. that he wanted to play for Philadelphia because he thought they had the real good possibility of turning the whole thing around. And, you know, i, I got to go with a veteran hockey player when he makes that kind of an assessment about the team he has decided to play for above any other team that he could have signed for for actually the same amount of money. But to me, Tom, I'll important. tell you. Tom, I'll tell you. You can talk about all the players you want to. It all starts with the coach. 
he turns teams around more quickly than almost any coach in any sport. He doesn't last long. He doesn't last more than two or three years. But I I guarantee you these will not be the flyers that you've seen on the ice over the last couple of years. He'll take that that team and he'll turn it into a competitive team very, very quickly. That was part B of my answer to Roger. Uh, (laughs) Because the coach is part of the personnel. And Mm -hmm. you're right, Don. Uh, He he has a quick burnout. You know, you either uh, grab on to what he's doing immediately and make the uh, advances and the changes and the positive moves because he's not going to be around too long. But, you know, one thing as a reporter, as a uh, writer, as a broadcaster, one thing I've always appreciated about him is his post-game conferences. I mean, they are. You just, you just know, you just know, you're going to grab a nugget or two out of his uh, post-game comments. And I, uh, you know, he, and, and I, you're right, Don. He's part of, he's part of personnel changes with the Flyers or personnel additions. That is going to make a big difference. Well, we saw just a close like up buddy. down here in Florida with, you know, with Tampa oh, when he oh, took oh. them to the Stanley Cup playoffs. We saw them going to Columbus. We saw what he did there. We see him with, seen him with a number of different teams and. You know, he has the magic for a few years. I mean, there's no question about it. He knows what to do. Roger? Well, we have to move over to the Eagles because uh, they open the season on uh, Sunday. And uh, the it was in, I saw an interesting statistic uh, today that there are 140 uh, Georgia high school graduates in the NFL as we speak. Is that unbelievable? 140. No, it's spread out in the uh, league. But, I mean, I think that says a lot about uh, high school football in Georgia. And uh, But uh, I, I know the Eagles are expected to do big things, Tom. What's your opinion? But let me uh, tag on what you just said there. Um, one of the stats that I find almost hard to believe, with all the success that Alabama has had in college football, how many Alabama quarterbacks really made a name for themselves in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, really, when you think about it, I mean, you know, I go back to you know, Joe Willie, of course, and of course Kenny the Snake. And, but that's it. When you think back of all the success that the Alabama football program has had, and, and the best, best example I have is is uh, a guy who won three straight, uh, who was in the uh, champ, started three years in a row for Alabama. And is the only college football quarterback who have won two championships in a row. You know what I'm talking about? But think about it. That's a pretty good stat. The only oh, college yeah. football player who ever win two championships in a row, and he never got a job in the NFL. Amazing. Well, that, that doesn't answer the question about the Eagles quarterback for this week going well, into yes, Detroit. In, what in what in is your assessment? He, he went to Alabama. In a, round, in, a round, in a roundabout way, it does, Don. Because yeah, the quarterback went to Alabama. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I, had to I go agree. to Oklahoma because Tua replaced them. Exactly. And I, have a, I just have a suspicion that uh, Jalen Hurts is not going to make it through the entire season. Uh, I, I, that's for whatever reason. Um, I, am, you know, I, I was really surprised uh, about a quarterback that they, <laughs> they signed out of Nevada. They paid him a over a quarter of a million dollars to sign, never even made the taxi squad, played, played about two or three minutes in the entire preseason spring trade or whatever you want to call it, 
uh, the free exhibition games, and uh, Carson School. I mean, why do you go out and get a guy like that? And sign? I mean, I know he's an unrestricted free agent, uh, and he signed, but he signed for like $350,000 and only played like three minutes of preseason football. I mean, you didn't give a shot to see what he could do, especially in the blowout of the game in Miami where the yeah. game was over and decided before the third quarter began, and they threw him in there in the last minute and a half of the game. And, you know, when it's garbage time where they could have said, well, you know, this game's over. Let's see what this guy has. Never gave him a shot. I, you know, I think maybe, well, you know, <laughs> I think he's got two strikes going against him because his first name is Carson. But there's some, there's, some <laughs> disconnect, there's some disconnect there. Why would you do that? Why would you bring in a guy and, and pay him that kind of money uh, to, to try out for the team, of course, and never give him a shot in preseason? And that correlates to what I'm saying about the Eagles quarterback. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I just have this feeling, that Jalen Hurts, one way or the other, is not going to make it completely through the upcoming season. And well, you've you got the odds on your side. Running quarterbacks don't make it too far through the whole season. Exactly. Very true. And, well, you know, and uh, uh, throw that in with the success or the lack of success that Alabama quarterbacks have had in the NFL. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, the really other, is let me, amazing. Tom, let me let me ask you this: Did, Didn't the Eagles also uh, sign that it was like a, a high draft pick a couple of years ago out of Notre Dame? Book, I think it's Book, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Buck. Yeah, the quarterback Buck. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and and they claim to be a quarterback factory. Well, if you know, according to Howie Roseman, we are a quarterback factory. You know. Yeah. Right. Well, so right. How can you be a how can you be a quarterback factory and don't even give a guy a test drive? That's right. Well, at the same time, you got to say, uh, well, Howie was, he was on, picked up, uh, he was on he was WIP up. yesterday, right, and talked about not taking Jefferson and uh, and wound up with, a, with his first-round well, choice, giving you know, him away for a seventh-round draft choice. Yeah, I don't like that. But at least he, that, he yeah. did it. At least he did uh, it. He um, was wrong. Rager. Yeah. Yeah, but I just I want to deal with the future. I mean, the present right now. I mean, yeah, you can go through a whole, you can go through a whole litany of things that were done uh, by the front office under Howie Roseman. But that's one thing I didn't understand. Uh, Carson Strong, uh, he, he led the uh, he led the college at four thousand yards, and he was an accurate passer. The big see the thing with the NFL, the big the big negative about Carson Strong. By the way, he was signed by the Denver Broncos yesterday, so he's with he's with an NFL team. But the big knock against Carson Strong was that he was not a mobile quarterback. Uh, okay, he's not a mobile quarterback. Uh, how mobile a quarterback is Tom Brady? How mobile a quarterback are any of the Mannings, Peyton Manning? Or, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, if you're a pocket quarterback and you have an arm, and he has no question about it, two things about Carson Strong, and, I, you know, I sound like a, I might be his agent, but I'm just using this as an example. Two things about Carson Strong, he has a, he has a bullet, he has, he has a, a rocket for an arm, and he's very accurate. Now, you know, how, how many quarterbacks in the NFL are successful the way uh, Jalen Hurts plays quarterback, as opposed to how many quarterbacks in the NFL have been successful as pocket quarterbacks with a good arm? Um, now, one thing going for Jalen Hurts uh, he's got a <laughs> he's got a pretty good uh, array of uh, receivers out there this year. So you throw the mm-hmm. ball anywhere near them, they're probably going to catch it. But I, you know, I'm just a little bit leery of of, uh, of what 
what's going to happen with uh, Jalen Hurts in uh, in the season that's coming up. Well, you're going to find out in week number one because Zach Wilson has now been moved back. He's not even going to be able to start <clears throat> over the first four games. And a, a, a local neighbor over there in New Jersey, Mr. Flacco, is going to get to start for the first four games, or at least he's going to get to start in game number one. Whether he goes after that, we'll wait to see. But uh, there's a pocket quarterback for you. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, – I don't know. I mean, I just uh, – that's my that's my spin when I look – when you ask me what I think is going to happen with the Eagles in this season, uh, you know, they've got a good offensive line that probably is, is going to be that, – that's another thing. Alabama may not come out with quarterbacks. But, boy, I'll tell you what, when it comes to offensive linemen, look how many they have, you know, in, in the NFL, how many have played in the NFL which makes you think, well, your quarterback is only as good as your offensive line. And uh, we'll see if that turns out to be the case that's going to uh, make Jalen Hurts a success this year or not. Roger? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I know a lot of people, you hear it, Tom, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, on talk radio call in, uh, they're pro pro uh, hurts others. It's about fifty fifty, maybe sixty forty, uh, in favor of him. But uh, I I'm with you. I mean, you look at Lamar Jackson. You know, he was hurt, uh, and uh, he's the he's a running quarterback. Very and he'll mobile. be hurt again this year. Uh, he will. You're exactly right. And and uh, and I think the same thing with hurts. And uh, the only thing that uh, could save him uh, is that the offensive line is probably one of the top two, three, four in the league. Uh, you know, Tom, like you said, the offensive line's great. That might save him. And the running game, the running game, and, without, and the, uh, without featuring the, him so much. And the good receivers. I mean, uh, and the receivers, they, they have, right. They, He's they got a good, catch they pretty good, Pretty good bunch of guys that are going out there to catch the ball. You're right, Rogers. Two good, two good points that will uh, really uh, help uh, Jalen Hurts this year. But uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about it mid-season, and we'll see if he's still around. I mean, if he's still starting as quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. But um, I, uh, I, I just for some reason, I, if for only the reason you mentioned, running quarterbacks, and apparently uh, they're not going to let him run as much as he did last year. But um, you know. Uh, to take a, a certain the way a quarterback plays, you can't take that out of him. And if that's the way he uh, is comfortable playing in that position, um, he, you know, you can say, oh, you can call in the play all you want, but once the ball is snapped, that quarterback makes all the decisions. And if he's going to lean more toward running when he doesn't like what the defense is showing, or if he doesn't think any of his receivers are open, uh, he's going to start scrambling. And uh, whatever happens then remains to be seen. But Tommy, you know, everybody's pretty much example. putting it down to the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, and the one thing that will disprove our theory about the quarterback is that the Dallas Cowboys, for the last four years, supposedly, supposedly had the best offensive line in the National Football League, and they didn't get by the first round. They they didn't do very well with that great offensive line. Now, they don't have one this year. We'll see what happens. But there's everybody expects that they're going to be the two teams playing at the end of the season against well, one another. yeah, you know, what you – that's fine, but you don't. You don't. You don't only play teams in your conference. I mean, there's two. There's two acts to grind. Uh, Carson Wentz is going to have one. You got to face him twice, right? 
And watch out for that Jacksonville game. Everybody that you hear, and Roger talking about the talk stations and fans calling in, everybody is writing off the Jacksonville Jaguars as a loss, as a win for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, you know, who's the, who's the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars this year? <laughs> and and, and he, knows, he knows. He knows, right. He knows. That's correct. Nothing you can tell. No, much more you can tell about the Philadelphia Eagles than you can tell about the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, you know, what's the old line? Any given Sunday, I, I guess. You know, but it's, um, it's, and I, you know, I think that the big watch out for the Giants. I think the biggest move the Giants made was getting a head coach in there. And I hate to I hate to put down the former head coach of the Giants because he's a local guy. But I think he was overmatched, and I think uh, I think the Giants are you know are going to be better than they were last year. Uh, the Cowboys, you're right, Don. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't the Cowboys, with the offensive line they were supposed to have, be better? You know what I think? I think their quarterback is overrated. I may not be the only guy to say that, but I mean, what else would you say, Don? Was the reason that the Cowboys didn't take advantage of their so-called best offensive line? You have an answer for yeah. that? The only answer I have yeah, is... Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, yeah. Roger, know, last question. We've got the next well, guest is on yeah. the line, ready to go. Jake's ready yeah, to well, go. We'll you know what? finish I, it up. I just, well, I just wanted to say, you know, another uh, quarterback that uh, wasn't so mobile and uh, is the reigning Super Bowl uh, champion quarterback, Matthew Stafford from uh, Georgia. And, he, of course, he was with Detroit all those years. You wouldn't call him a mobile quarterback, and he won the Super Bowl, Tom. Correct. That's right. And uh, well, that, that's my point, and I'm sticking with it. And uh, by the way, you know, <laughs> I mentioned to you earlier, if I'm, if I'm commissioner of baseball, uh, this whole thing about uh, you know uh, position players coming in in a game that's out of reach. I love it. Yeah. And throwing <laughs> these uh, 50 mile an hour beach balls, I suggest that as soon as a manager puts in a position player, he is like throwing in the white flag. You know, he's, he's giving up, call the game, forget about it. It's embarrassing to the sport. It's degrading to the sport of baseball to have that happen. Guys are laughing. Hitters are going up there, you know, smiling and going, are you kidding me with that floater? And, you know, it's, uh, you know, in football, the head coach has a red flag when he wants to challenge. <laughs> I want to yep. give the managers of baseball a white flag. When they're ready to give up the game because it's 18-1, to 1, throw the white flag out <laughs> on the field and let's all go home. Tommy, Tommy, thank you very much. Tom LeMain, our special guest down in Philadelphia. Tommy, of course, has been involved with all the sports in Philadelphia, from the National Hockey League to the NBA to baseball to basketball. Done it all, and uh, both on radio and television. And, Tom, thank you very, very much. We'll get together again in the next few weeks after the Eagles get started, the National Football League gets started. And we'll get back right into the football. But right now, we're going to make the transition now. Jake Ball's on the line with us right now. And uh, Jake is, uh, has been and is involved in USFL. Jake, first of all, welcome to the show. And where do we stand? Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, pretty good. Uh, how about you? Everything is good. Thanks. Everything is wonderful. Frank, I'll let you ask the first question. All right, Jake, you, we, when we talked the other day, uh, you said uh, you wanted to expand, uh, talk about the expansion, the possible expansion. And the second, I've got two other questions after that. Let's go with the expansion. Will there be an expansion this year? 
Well, I guess I should probably clarify what we were talking about, or at least what I was talking about um, as far as expansion goes. Uh, what I was referring to was the um, moving into multiple hubs instead of just the single hub of Birmingham for mm-hmm. the 2020 season or the 2022 season. Uh, right. There, there's been talks about moving into an additional hub or maybe even three additional hubs. So having for 2023 between two mm-hmm. and four hubs. So. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, I am personally a proponent of going to the four hubs, get as many teams in the market mm-hmm. as you can, but uh, conservative mm-hmm. estimate, kind of what I actually expect to see is probably two hubs. Mm-hmm. Roger? And you, well, go ahead, go ahead, Frank. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah. We were talking about some of the, uh, give us a, a, a thumbnail sketch of some of the key players that uh, came on this year. I'm sorry. So give us a thumbnail sketch of some of the key players that you wanted to uh, talk about tonight. Um, I mean, there was uh, so many to, you know, where to even start. Um, I mean, guess my guy, the guy that, uh, that I really watched the most basically, you know, as a, uh, as personally as a Panthers fan, uh, Reggie Corbin, I loved seeing him uh, get the chance to play. He was kind of uh, understated coming out of Illinois a couple of years ago, and uh, USFL really gave him, you know, really gave him a shot. And while he hasn't landed on a practice squad or active roster yet, uh, it does sound like he's getting, you know, quite a few looks. Um, but mm-hmm. speaking of actually getting players into the NFL, we did get one um, on to stick onto a 53-man roster, and that would be uh, USFL's MVP, Cavante uh, Turpin. He ended up signing mm-hmm. with the Dallas Cowboys and ended up getting a three-year deal out of it. Mm. Oh, okay. nice, nice. Mm. Well, when you talk about a ve- the venues, okay, which I agree, I think uh, you got to spread it around. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Philadelphia would be a great spot, but they don't have uh, a, a uh, artificial turf there, which you really need, from what I saw with watching a lot of games in Birmingham. That's why they were able to have so many games. But, you know, the Stars, when they were in Philadelphia, they won championships. They got good crowds. I mean, Frank and Don both uh, know that. I mean, they they did very well, you know, in the uh, spring with the Stars. So uh, if if you had four, if if it was your choice, and you had the four venues, what would they be? Continue in Birmingham and then add three? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Birmingham, they're right now the most popular USFL team. They're the defending champions. So obviously you absolutely keep them in Birmingham, keep a hub there. Then for the other South hub, I would say go with New Orleans uh, for the breakers. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously going to support the football SEC. Um, they're going to really show up. So fantastic area. You know, there's a few different stadiums that they could use, they could set up. So uh, New Orleans is definitely one for uh, to fill out the South. And then for the North, I do agree. I think Philadelphia would probably be um, one of the better options. They're the North team that, you know, went to the championship this year. So they, they have a little bit of star status with that. Um, obviously the history back in the eighties with winning the two national two championships, uh, making an appearance in all three. And then for the other one, I maybe a little bit of bias, but 
I'm going to pick Michigan um, for that. I think Detroit would do really well with it um, yeah, great. as well yeah, as with support. That's yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And you're going to spread it around. Uh, so you've got uh, different markets, different areas of the country. One, yep, one question, uh, Jake, is what, what's the depth of the roster? And is there limits on the payroll? And number two, the teams, the cities that you named for hubs, you're going into very competitive areas where so many other sports are involved and so much uh, talent is, <clears throat> is associated with those cities. Uh, I would think that's tough, whereas Birmingham, you get, you're pretty much your sole, you're the sole uh, ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's probably a big part of why they initially chose Birmingham. They could really latch on. They could really get a good deal. Like you said, there really wasn't any competition. They were, you know, the big dogs in town other than UAB, who, of course, wasn't going to be playing uh, and competing with them directly, you know, in, in April through July. So Birmingham, obviously, perfect choice for that. But the USFL ended up choosing all of the eight markets, all the eight teams for a reason. So they must, you know, feel that the markets are going to be able to support the existing teams that they have as well as the USFL team. So Michigan, I would assume Detroit, and obviously you got Philadelphia, you got New Jersey, which would probably be the New York metro area. Then of course, Houston, New Orleans, and, and what, is the, what is the depth and what is the, is there a payroll limit? Uh, for every normal player. Yeah. They get a, they get a set mount, um, I believe it is 4,500 per regular season game for active roster players, and then 1,500 a game for practice squad. Um, then they get 10, you know, 10 games, so minimum of 45,000 for um, for active roster, an extra thousand siphon for for every victory. So go undefeated um, in the regular season, you get you know 55,000, and then of course you can get you know additional bonuses for playoffs and championship. And then that's going to be for most players, but it does sound like they're going with the model that um, the XFL had used and paying quarterbacks an additional amount. So we don't really know the specifics there. Uh, I believe probably low six figures, probably, you know, somewhere around 200, 250,000 a year uh, for some of the premier starting quarterbacks that, you know, they really wanted to, to put out there to, you know, to get the league going. Roger, do you still have the uh, TV contract with Fox for the coming season? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fox owns USFL, so they're they're all in on that. And then NBC, I believe their deal was three years, so they're going to have Fox and NBC. We really don't know if they're going to expand into, you know, with other networks, uh, obviously, ABC, Disney, the you know, take out the XFL, but um, from what I know, for from what I've heard, I haven't heard of any uh, any expanding into any new networks. But at least they're going to retain, obviously, Fox and NBC and you know. Jake Paul is our special guest this half hour. Frank, you're up next. Hey, Jake, uh, uh, you know, as from, for 19 years, I was involved with uh, the arena football here in Tampa. Um, was formerly the, uh, the Pittsburgh uh, team that came down here to camp and became the, the Storm. Um, one of the uh, one of the, the things that's, that uh, was very active here was that after arena football, at the end of the game, 
the ownership made the players come out on the field, uh, sign autographs, talk to talk to people, and it really built up a brand. Do they have any any um, ideas of doing something like that with the USFL? Oh, absolutely. They they definitely encouraged that uh, with with the fans, with the players uh, in Birmingham. Uh, I know they were doing a lot of that. I knew they were doing events. They have a lot of kid oriented um, activities around the stadium. I know certainly when I went to the championship game that they had a a bunch of events, a bunch of um, opportunities for kids to play. They really were um, hammering at home that this is a family oriented environment. With uh, every adult ticket, you had up to three kids under the age of 15 that could get in free. So they were really marketing mm-hmm. to families, family-friendly events. And yeah, absolutely, they um, they had players, you know, meeting and and, and you know, spending One time. Thing I asked, that I didn't hear the answer to. What is what's the depth of the squad? 53, 50, how many? Uh, active roster for this year started at 38. It got bumped up mm-hmm. to 40. Um, it sounds like everything that we've been hearing that they're going to expand it further. I'm hoping 50, at least 50. Uh, I, I think the small roster sizes really hurt some of the product on the field. Still, you know, still competitive, still entertaining, but really, you know, you could see with injuries and as, as the season wore on that, you know, the small roster sizes was a problem. So don't know what it's going to be in 23, but I'm hoping at least at least 50 for active roster. Roger? Yeah, I would agree. You really need to have uh, a much deeper roster, uh, you know, than 38. Uh, if you would expect to have guys healthy. I, I mean, unless you expect that nobody's going to get hurt, which is um, um, almost impossible. The, uh, the other thing I, I wanted to ask is uh, – the coaches, there were some pretty good names, uh, especially some names from the past uh, that were coaches. Do you expect that to be more of a uh, training ground now for a lot of coaches that uh, the NFL is looking, you know, as far as the minority uh, situation goes for uh, training and, and um, uh, you, you know, getting more exposure? for some of these uh, younger coaches? It it absolutely sounds like uh, there's that component to it. I know at least especially with the coordinators, uh, they have a lot of younger coordinators, a lot of up-and-coming guys that they are trying to, you know, groom and, and then help uh, produce. So, yeah, I absolutely think that, you know, the league will kind of lean into that. I think for at least the first round, the first eight, you know, coaches that we have, most of them are established, I think, probably to, you know, have some consistency, have, you know, some established coaching, some guys that know what's going on to, to establish the teams. But uh, going forward, yeah, I absolutely think that you'll see those guys step aside and, and you know, bring in and bring up the, the coordinators. I'll tell you, Jake, when you mentioned the about the, uh, the stipends that are paid, uh, boy, I'll tell you, what, that, bring, that brings back the early days of the NFL, right, Don and Frank? Yep. Oh, yeah, no question <laughs> about that. Frank, <laughs> you're up. Go ahead. It's definitely in line with what the, uh, the arena football paid when they first started. Um, the quarterback got $100,000. That was Jay Gruden. Um, and the the, uh, the lineman and the running backs got anywhere from sixty to 85000 
and Jerry Jones and, and uh, Bon Jovi and um, two other guys who were the money behind it and, and the uh, management behind it uh, pulled out because they made stupid moves. They, they took a, an arena bowl away from the winning city and took it to uh, one, one year they went to Hawaii. They get 1,700 people to fill a 55,000-seat uh, stadium. There you go. They took it yeah. to Puerto Rico, and they, had, they got less than that in Puerto Rico. Um, so that it became a, a money uh, loser for them, and they just said, oh, no, that's it. We're done. Um, and then that brought the, the, the league to its, its knees. Then after they came back, um, the deal was that the owner – and the the uh, venue that they were they were going to be uh, playing in had to be 50/50 owners of the team, uh, and that that uh, that worked out pretty well. The problem was they came back. The quarterback got $1,500 a game. The players got anywhere from four to six hundred dollars a game, and there's no insurance. Wow! Uh, wow! So uh, that that really was a dream, uh, and that's the uh, uh, when they folded, of course, uh, the second time, uh, Ron Jaworski stepped up and took four teams, uh, put four yeah. teams out. And uh, Mr. Vinnick at the time said, look, I'm not going to play these same – there's six teams out. I'm not going to play these same teams uh, with the cost involved of, of traveling uh, just just to play ourselves and, and you know, know we're, we're either going to win or we're going to lose. Uh, so – he he dropped out. Well, when he dropped out, everybody else dropped out. Everybody Ron was left with a huge uh, loss because of the teams that he had, he had backed. And, uh, you know, that's the way it went. What did but, Dick uh, Vermeil say a couple of weeks ago, Frank, about that? Mm-hmm. About yeah. that he lost money on the arena yeah. league, you well, know? Yeah, yeah he was a Ron, small partner. He was a small partner. And well, with Ron George, was a partner with, with Ron. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll give you another yeah. – Frank, you hit the nail on the head, and I'll give you – right here. The Atlanta did very well, okay, the the, the first go-round. And then Arthur Blank took them down to the uh, Georgia Dome. Well, people mm-hmm. didn't follow. They didn't want to go in the city. They wanted to play in Gwinnett, which was, uh, you know, like minimal parking cost and a beautiful facility. So then they came back. The second time, because I got to go and see them when I was living here before, and mm-hmm. it was a great venue. And I went to see the uh, Soul a number of times, and I loved it. It was a, it was a great experience, mm-hmm. especially if you had uh, children or grandchildren. I mean, they'd have a ball. And I agree with you 100% sure. about that. Well, Jake, how many, how many games are we talking about playing now with, with the number of teams and how many games are we looking at? Uh, going into year two, we're still looking at ten regular season games. Then you have a, you know, divisional semifinal, and then you have the championship game. So total for the full season for all eight teams, playoffs, forty-three games, same as uh, it was this year. Now, Roger. do you work uh, for the league, Jake? No, I'm just kind of a alt football league enthusiast, and uh, USFL coming, bringing a you know team to to my market here in Michigan, um, you know, has me really really involved in trying to help promote and you know support the league and create oh, that, content well, for the league. That's great. 
So you're out in Detroit yeah. area then? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, South oh, Central. Great. Oh, so okay. that's that's why that's why you're looking for Detroit to be one of the one of the hubs. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. There, I, I will make no bones about that. There is uh, definitely some bias there. I understand. Right? Are you a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan? <laughs> oh, I uh, born and raised uh, bleed mangers in blue. Okay. There you uh, go. The other question <laughs> I have is: Are the Lions going to beat the Eagles on Sunday? Oh, a little bit of revenge from last year. Um, I, I'm definitely hoping to see that, yeah. Hey, you and Angelo Catale are the same age. Everybody thinks it's it's going to be an easy cakewalk, you know. And so, yeah, Angelo Catale, who's the uh, big uh, morning man on WIP, great guy and and great, great broadcaster. And uh, he has picked the Lions to win the game. So that has gotten the fans all upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I know uh, Philadelphia fans are um, can can be enthusiastic. Absolutely. Let me just upgrade well, a couple of scores here. The Phillies are up 3-2. The They're batting in the uh, bottom of the sixth inning right now. And uh, so this has uh, been a, a, a nip and tuck affair most of the day. And uh, New York Yankees are nothing, nothing. They are uh, playing the second game of the doubleheader with Minnesota. The Yankees won the first game. Judge hit his 55th home run of the year. They won it five to four. It's nothing, nothing in uh, the uh, bottom of the second inning in game number two at Yankee Stadium. And the New York Mets are cruising. Will take over first place again by a half game against the Atlanta Braves. They're in the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Mets are ahead of by nothing. Frank, go to it. Okay. Well, Dick, uh, I want to thank you for your time uh, uh, tonight. And uh, we'll, 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 you and I will talk, and you, you and uh, Trevor, I'm sure, will be uh, uh, texting each other back and forth. Uh, he, he gave me he, – he's on duty tonight. That's why he couldn't be, uh, be on with us. But uh, we, uh, we appreciate your time and, and the information. And we'd like to have you come back uh, in a couple of weeks as we're getting closer to the season. Uh, the, the one thing I know that you guys are getting ready for is the draft. Um, and when is that, do you know? Uh, yeah, actually, good uh, good timing on that. Uh, information came out this week that it uh, looks like it's going to be right before the season kicking off next year, so probably around uh, March. And then up until then, we have uh, free agency. Good, good. Hi, right, well, Jake. Yeah, thanks a million for, for coming on. We Bowl really appreciate only... your time and the information. Uh, well, no, I appreciate it. appreciate you guys having me. Jake, thank, thank you so much. You're, you're, thank you're you our guys. window. Well, you're a window to the USFL. So we'll uh, we'll certainly keep you in mind and have you back and forth. <laughs> we sure Absolutely. will. Absolutely, would love to be back. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks. Thanks you too. And Mike's ready to go. Oh, Mike Zimzek is ready to go, so we're yes, going to go uh, from a Michigan fan <laughs> to Baltimore, Washington area. And, uh, well, let's see what's happening in Baltimore, Washington right now that we can talk about at the top. Let's start off with the soccer because uh, uh, we're getting we're getting close to playoff time. And, uh, Mike, that's your bailiwick at the top before we talk about football or basketball or baseball or whatever. So uh, give us a shot at the uh, MLS first. Well, I know you're right. The playoffs are coming up fast. Um, 
we're heading into the uh, very the the the, the, um, the season. Um, the union have four games left. Some game teams have five. So I figure I finally, after about 30 games of the season, I finally have a handle on the MLS and I can preview it adequately. And my preview is that, you know what? I think the Philadelphia Union may be the best team in MLS right now. Wow. There you are, Roger. Your, your old backyard. Yes. Yeah, Roger, they, 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 they've totally obliterated their single-season uh, points record. Their best season to date over the course of 34 games was 55 points. They're already on 60 with uh, four games left to play. And if they win, um, if they get 10 points out of the last 12 on offer, they'll also top the uh, 2020 season for uh, points per game. They'll have averaged two, just a hair over two, which is still a good season. Uh, they're on pace to set a single-season MLS uh, record for goal differential. If they get to set 72 points, that'll tie them for the second-highest points total ever, ever in the MLS history. Uh, Daniel Godzak is on 17 uh, goals right now, and that ties him with Casper uh, Shabilko, who set the uh, record last year with 17, and he's still got four more games to score. So the Philadelphia Union are setting records. They, they, had, they scored 18 goals across four games, which is an MLS record for a four-game total as well. So That's amazing. They're having one of those seasons right now that literally gives them an opportunity to rewrite their history book. Roger? Well, yeah, I saw the uh, United uh, suspended Joseph Martinez for, uh, you know, one game. You probably saw that. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. what's really interesting. You know, we talked about the uh, uh, the way Arthur Blank put together uh, this, the uh, management and everything for the United. And I'll tell you what else is interesting, Mike. When you go on their website, you get the English version or you can switch over to the Spanish version. Well, that's and pretty I think, common with most of the websites. So, Oh, is it really? Okay. I think in the NFL, yeah. I, I know Dallas, I'm pretty sure, does that. It may be Houston, but uh, I didn't know uh, uh, any other uh, teams that have both versions in the NFL. Yeah, a, I know in, the, uh, in Major League Soccer, that's fairly common because you brought up the point. You have a very international fan base. Uh, some of them even go as far as to allow you to switch. In the domestic ones, not even the Canadian teams, allow you to go as far as to switch to French because in some of the areas you have a heavy French-speaking African population that's also fans. Very true. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, the I, I'm happy for the uh, union. I really am. I mean, you know, they took a lot of – you talk about Jim Curtin, and he took a lot of uh, criticism over a uh, number of years and – and and we didn't, really didn't know whether they were going to survive or not. Isn't that uh, – uh, that's what you thought too, right? Well, I, I mean, I thought the franchise would survive. I had questions about whether or not they would flourish to the extent that they have. Uh, a big turning point came about four years ago, maybe five seasons now, when they brought in um, – they fired Nick Sakowitz and they brought in er, um, Ernie Stewart originally as their uh, player development, um, their president of soccer operations. And he instilled a whole entire new scouting and um, uh, structural emphasis on player development and really scouting 
talent with the intent to develop it, which has created one of the best youth academy systems in MLS. I mean, it is the envy of most of the teams on the Northeast. I was talking to a father who has a son in this area who is uh, is 15 and just now qualifies to join one of the MLS academies. And he's very upset that because of some weird MLS rules that don't allow teams to sign players from outside of a certain radius, he can't voluntarily send his son up to uh, the Philadelphia Union Academy because he believes that would be the best opportunity in this region for the, for his kid to develop. And what I mean, this young man is a really legitimate player. He's already been uh, invited to camps for the U.S. under-15 team. So I'm not talking about this. This is a good kid. So rather than mess around, he just doesn't trust the the, um, D.C. United Academy, so he's thinking about taking him over to Spain in the summer for some tryouts over there. But Mm -hmm. he's saying, you know, if I was in New Jersey, if I was in that area, I would definitely um, sign my my son up to play with the union because I really believe that they do a great job of preparing these kids. Well, the one good thing that uh, they're going to have one of their most avid fans, Roger Hendler, he's going to move back to Philadelphia only because of that. He's got to be uh, mm. so involved in MLS and the thoughts of what's happening with the Philadelphia teams. Uh, Roger, w- what can we expect you to be back at the new dwellings? That that won't be uh, for uh, around about nine months or so. I can oh, tell you're not you going to be there for playoffs? You're not going to be there for no, playoffs? Yeah, Roger, you're not going to make are you pregnant? They may make it to the MLS title game and no. have home field advantage. <laughs> no. You're not pregnant, you know, are you, Roger? Yeah, no, it's nothing like that, okay? Uh, I did want to um, – I believe, uh, Don, that uh, – and, uh, Mike, you may know this. I do believe Carl Cherkin is still uh, the head of uh, communications uh, for the uh, union. I know he was there at the beginning. Remember, Don – Great guy, great guy. Great guy, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure who's in charge of their communications shop. Um, uh, Chris Winkler was there for a while before he went down. And he's with the uh, United, yeah, doing a great job. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on a little bit. Uh, We'll forget about the Washington baseball team because uh, they don't really have one right now to talk about. They've got a double-A team that's trying to play in the major leagues. Don, let's give them credit. The, the, Washington, the, the Nationals are actually 6-4 and four in their last 10, and they took 2-3 and three from the Mets, the young Mets, and both of those were 7-1 wins. So, I, I mean, baseball is mm-hmm. on life support here, but it's not completely dead. <laughs> Have you got any hope or anything new on management change or ownership change? Nothing new on management, nothing new on ownership. Uh, You know, it is the final season of the contracts for both Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. I would be very, very, very surprised if uh, either one, especially Rizzo, was back. I mean, just this whole entire thing. I don't think you can blame Davey Martinez for what happened this year. I think he did the best that he could with what he had to work with. Uh, Rizzo, on the other hand, 
I know he he did a great job getting back what he could for Juan Soto, but uh, it just it, having to give him up like that is it was really a black eye for the organization. I might be a little bit surprised if they they bring him back, especially because although he got that haul back in the, in the Soto deal, and I will say he did a good job getting the prospects that he did, he's also on the hook for the Patrick Corbin contract, which has and the, the uh, Strasburg contract, both of which are deadly, deadly. the worst in franchise organizations. Anybody, history. any franchise organization. Yeah. But uh, let's get back. Let's, let's let's make another jump then and go to your other Washington football team, the Commanders. Now, uh, they're going to open up the first week of the season. Uh, are you optimistic, pessimistic, or just going to wait? Oh, man, I forgot they were actually playing. No, uh, yeah, they opened <laughs> up with the Jags here on uh on Sunday afternoon that they have they're 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 three point favorites, which basically means that everybody sees this as a pick 'em game and you know what, I know that the Jags that a lot of people are, are a little optimistic on the Jags. I mean they they did have the uh, first pick in the draft and were the worst team last year, but with Doug Peterson coming in um, the draft that they had, a lot of people are optimistic on them. And when it comes to the commanders, there's still a lot of question marks. Um, the defense that struggled last year, yeah, they had a historic run of quarterbacks that they had to play in um, the likes of Herbert and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, but they were pretty bad. And they didn't well, they got a shot the oh. first week. The Jaguars, after all the co- what happened with the coaching last year and all the administrative problems, uh, I don't know whether they've been able to straighten that out yet. I haven't did not see any of their practice games, uh, what they call exhibition games, but practice games. So I can't uh, give any first-hand knowledge on that. But uh, as you said, they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite, which is a little bit unusual, but that's where they are. Yeah, and it's going to come down to uh, – you know, can the defense hold up? You know, they are missing Chase Young. Um, so the, the, can they get pressure on Trevor Lawrence, um, make him make mistakes? Can they stop the run? And how well does uh, Carson Wentz execute Scott Turner's offense? You know, the biggest additions that they had was to the receivers that got a healthy Curtis Samuels for the first time uh, since he signed. You know, is he the back that the guy that had a thousand yards for Carolina before he came to the Commanders? You know, they were really big on Jahan Dotson, the rookie out of Penn State. Um, you know, Brian uh, Brian Johnson's injury or Robinson's injury uh, is a big thing, but you know. Antonio Gibson was their lead back last year. I know that he has a fumbling issue, but they feel confident about him and, you know, the efforts to get him out in space. They feel like they have the weaponry. Um, They feel like they have the right system. And considering that, you know, the only quarterback since Kirk Cousins left to start more than 10 games was Taylor Heineke last year, they think they've got a legitimate upgrade at quarterback 
And if Carson Wentz can be slightly above replacement level, they feel like they have a good chance of, you know, being in that seven, eight, nine win range, which is where I think they will be. And if they're there, that means they're probably going into late November, December, uh, at least competitive. And I think that's where this team would hope to be. Roger, before I go back to you, the Mets are up now nine to nothing. And that's about uh, eight more runs than fans in the stands for the first game this <laughs> afternoon. And then the seventh, second game isn't much better. <laughs> the Yankees are still nothing, nothing. And Roger, you're up. Okay. The, uh, wanted to get back to uh, the, the Washington uh, area. Uh, you said that uh, <laughs> you didn't know they existed. The, uh, are, is the fandom picking up at all on on the new name and uh, uh, the team for uh, the upcoming season, Mike? The fans' attitude towards the name and the team are very, very similar, and it's just a lot of general malaise. Um, mm-hmm. the, the ownership, Dan Snyder, has just taken so much emotion out of – this fan base that other than a few diehards who will go down there, that remaining entrenched will never go on the Washington football team, no matter where they go, what you call them. They could call them the Washington Freds and play on the Eastern shore of Maryland. And these people would still support them. No matter some hell or high water Uh, outside of those uh, fans, you know, there's a, just a real general malaise about the season. You know, people are cautiously optimistic, but no, nobody's really gotten invested either in the team. And that kind of trickles down with the name. You hear a lot of just kind of like bland blah responses. People are just like, you know, I've been burnt so much by this organization over the course of the last 20 years. I yeah. just really can't get emotionally invested anymore. Well, you know what I think people also miss it was uh, Frank Herzog, Sonny Jurgensen, and Sam Huff. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a legendary broadcast team. And I, I think that they also, even when uh, Snyder took over, there was still that allegiance to the, well, the Redskins then, but uh, because of, uh, you know, Frank, Sonny, and, and uh, Sam. I mean, they, they made it entertaining no matter what the team was doing. Well, then they, and then you had the likes of Chris Cooley and Doc Walker in the booth, and they shuffled them off. So they have a brand new broadcasting, which nobody's really wrapped their their, their, their arms around fully. Um, you know, there's been friction at times between the organization and the alumni. We saw that clearly last year when kind of they did this real quick ham-handed response to something, which ended up with them uh, retiring uh, uh, Sean Taylor's number, 26, before they retired Bobby Mitchell's number. And mm. that rubbed along a lot of people the wrong way. That, oh, yeah. You know, what, when Bobby was alive, they wouldn't retire his number. They wouldn't retire his number. He wouldn't retire his number. Then all of a sudden, after he had passed and he wasn't around to accept it, now that they're going to retire numbers and they're actually going to retire somebody's number before they retire Bobby Mitchell's, um, they're, they're, it's just things like that. It's just systematic missteps have just taken, uh, t- just 
taking it out of the fans. And I, I, I do feel bad for a lot of them. Well, I can, I can tell you, I mean, when they were – The Yankees won nothing. Go ahead, Ron. They went, I'll tell you, Don and Frank and Mike, I mean, the I can remember when they were on WMAL, Ken Beatrice would do a show uh, Monday nights, uh, you know, and he did his regular uh, show, but and uh, he would do sometimes the pre- and post-game. But the MAL did a great job of promoting their coverage, and they did it for so many years. It was like in New York, Don, remember with WNEW with Marty Glickman, and Kyle wrote out the Rogatis, that team, Absolutely. and then you know they're legendary. And the uh, I can uh, the um, I know Don and Frank, you got the Eagles schedules uh, I sent. I'll have to send one to you too, uh, Mike. I got the Georgia but, schedule today too. Oh, good, good, great. Well, what I was going to say is that Mal used those laminated cards that now a lot of the teams use, like the Eagles. And that, you know what that tells me, Mike? That they were way ahead of their time in their marketing. You mm-hmm. know, and this goes back 20, 25, oh, 20, more, 30 years or more. And now in the last few years, what are the teams are coming out and using the laminated car and a key tag? But, I mean, uh, MAL did that all those years because I used to get it every year. And uh, and I remember even the uh, Georgetown with w, Channel Five when it, you know what was Metro Media, uh, they did a great job. And I really think that that, that has an effect uh, on the fandom. You know, is that are the shows popular? I don't know whether in Washington now they do it from uh, restaurants like on Monday night or anything like that. You know. Some of them will go out on location. You'll get uh, a couple of them that will be out on location. But remember, for a number of years in the late 90s and early aughts, uh, Dan Snyder's media company owned both most That's of right. the, AM, the AM and FM talk show, uh, radio stations in this area. Right. And so it was a lot of very company talk and these over-sponsored segments, you know, the board board brought to you by Pizza Hut in affiliation yeah. with <laughs> Mako right. Tires and yeah. Um, yeah. Jiffy Lube Guest Line. So everything right. was sponsored and overly corporate. And just, you know, again, you talked about them sending out the laminated schedules and things like that. It used to be an organization that went out of its way to connect with the fans and over the, again, we've talked about it at, at length, and we will continue to talk about it as long as things continue to go the way they are. It's been an organization that has slowly and surely isolated the fans, and now is just scrambling to figure out how to engage with them again, and they just are not able to do it. Right. Yeah. It, it's sad. I mean, it really is. And uh, anything you do on the pressure on Snyder, uh, you know. And pressure on the organization. What he was going to do is he was going to do his uh, what his interview on his yacht somewhere rather than the go before the legislation. Yes, and now the other thing is that so he did testify, um, but the other thing now is because of Gruden's lawsuit, they're going to be able to depose Bruce Allen. 
right? So his testimony is now going to be under oath too. So we'll be able to see a little bit about what um, – we'll be able to get his side of the story. And you have to believe that a lot of the stuff that – some of the stuff that the internal workings of this organization and things related to Baron Snyder will come out in that because, uh, you know, Gruden's lawsuit very much involves the Redskins because the communications that were released were part uh, were to Bruce Allen, number one, and were part of documents that were turned over by the, the Redskins, the football team, in conjunction with the Best Wilkinson investigation. They were the only documents really, that have ever been released as a result of that investigation. Roger? That's a, that is amazing, isn't it? That, uh, and, the, uh, and, and Gruden had to take the fall. And, you know, and if that had come out, and, and you wonder whether that was the setup, Mike. Yeah, I, I – I understand that those things were also part uh, released because they were part of a, a um, deposition in Dan Snyder's lawsuit against an Indian media company for defamation, which was why they also came out. But it wasn't a target of – they weren't going after John Gruden. Uh, they were really going after Bruce Allen. And yes. So John kind of – unfortunately got caught up in the wash with all that. Like, did he have any business saying what he said in those emails? No. Well, that was stupidity to, to say yeah, that. Yeah, that was so. stupidity. No doubt about his it. Part. Yeah. And he that, that's uh, that's understated that. the case, Roger. Yeah, well, he I know. Con- no, you're he, right. He suffered the consequences for that, but the fact that he is the only one that has really been negatively affected by this. I can understand his grievance where he said, like, why am I the only one who's out of the NFL and out of a job? Look at what these two clowns are doing. They're like 20 times worse than me. Well, they yeah. sure did a little bit want... of a cover-up because they brought Gruden back, but they brought him back as an advisor. He's, like, he's not really on a coaching staff, but he is back in the, uh, back in the league. Uh <laughs> Sort of a supplemental I think, that, uh, I don't know job. John, I think that's Jay. Oh, that yeah, it's I his think, brother, isn't it? Jay. Yeah, oh, was it his brother? brother. I thought it was, I thought it was him. Yeah, no, that's Jay Gruden. Oh, okay, okay. The former Redskins coach. Yeah, we yes. can buy yes. that. And and you wonder whether the owners don't want to because who knows what a lot of the owners have done. Well, certainly if Bruce Allen, who that relation, you know, we saw Dan Snyder in the media and, and, and in the reports, we saw Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen very much go at it. That divorce was very public and very acrimonious. And I have a feeling that, you know, if we get details of uh, Bruce's deposition, which, remember, these things should be kept sealed, uh, but I have no doubt in my mind that we'll hear stuff about it. When that stuff comes to light, I, I, have, a few, I have a feeling that there will be a uh, fair few bombshells in there directed specifically at Daniel Snyder. And then mm. how the NFL chooses to deal with it uh, will, remains, the, 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 remains what's in doubt. 
because we certainly had enough evidence of Dan Snyder's missteps as an owner. Whether right. it was Let's hold the, it right uh, there, Mike. Thank you very much. Mike Simzak joins us weekend. Mike, week have out. a great week. Have a great we'll week, do. Mike, Talk and thank you, you very much. All right, take care. Doug Hamilton's on the line right now to finish out the program on this Wednesday night. Doug, of course, joins us on a regular basis, PGA professional in Baltimore, Maryland. That's his old club down there. We'll talk a little golf in a few minutes, but uh, <clears throat> the Ravens are going to get started this weekend, and they're uh, going to have an old quarterback come back and play against them. <laughs> and it's going to be very interesting to see uh, exactly what happens because Zach Wilson is out of the lineup, and uh, Mm-hmm. Looks that look looks like right now that uh, Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback in the first game against the Ravens, his old team, and Doug Hamilton. What do you think? Um, I am super excited for football season. Um, for whatever reason, I feel like it kind of just crept up on us. You know what I mean? Like I was so enthralled with uh, the Orioles and, and so many things going on. And I was just kind of like, you know, in preseason only being three games and, and, and none of the starters really playing. And it was kind of just very benign. And then all of a sudden it's like, Holy crap, tomorrow night's football. Like, you know, there's so, um, you're ready. I, I'm definitely ready. We, we, uh, so there's a, there's a fantasy football league that has like a bunch of the area country club professionals in it that I'm in that we had our draft last night and we had just, you know, a really good time, you know, picking our teams and everything else. And, and um, you know, if, if anybody out there listening uh, plays fantasy football, I mean, it's, it's a huge deal um, with regard to, you know, the leagues that people are in, the rules they have, the money they pay, the, you know, uh, penalties, if you will, for finishing last, the smack that gets talked on a weekly basis. Um, and it gives you an ancillary reason to watch football other than your quote unquote team uh, with respect to who you're playing and, and the players you have on your team. So, um, you know, it, it kind of gives you a full coverage, if you will, of football, because you're, you're not just looking at teams, you're looking at players and you're looking at how they um, can contribute to their teams and all those sorts of things. So it's, it's actually pretty cool, but uh, back, back to the point of hand of, of the Ravens, I, I think, in fantasy football, the Ravens aren't really incredibly relevant, you know, like a lot of other teams are that have a lot of stars. Um, I mean, you have your Lamar Jackson, you have your Mark Andrews, um, Justin Tucker. Um, those are the, the kind of three highest drafted, you know, Ravens that you would see. J.K. Dobbins is, is on that horizon, but because he's in question, you know, whether he's going to play or not or, or what's going to happen with him. Um, a lot of question marks remain, you know, with the Ravens defense. Um, I don't necessarily think that going to New York and playing the Jets is super scary for the Ravens defense, but, you know, it's early in the season. And like I said, a lot of the starters haven't played yet. You know, what what kind of rhythm do they have together? What kind of, um, you know, just cohesion do they have early on? I mean, it's, you know, it, it, this is – Playing against the Jets is one of those kind of games, if you're a Ravens fan, where you, you're a little nervous because you think you should definitely beat them, but if they come out flat, could something weird happen or, you know, in New York? I don't know. Um, you know, so I'm I'm super excited for the season to start and can't wait to, to watch that game. Roger, before I go to you, the Phillies put another run on the board. They're headed out 4-2. to They're playing in the top of the eighth inning at uh, Citizens Bank Park. You're up, Roger. 
The uh, well, your, uh, your wife uh, had to be happy with the performance <laughs> of the dogs. Yeah. Well, she was she was more happy with the fact that you sent me that email, and um, you know all the good things that, that were enclosed. No, I with, sent you the schedule. Not, That's not it. the email. I well, sent you, you the schedule. You, no, you did. You you definitely, but you emailed me the. Uh, was that oh called? yeah, the, dog the Bulldog yes. Illustrated. That's it. Yeah, we when I showed we, that, we're going to have him out. on again. That, right. that yeah, said, and that is a great publication. I want to tell you. No, she, she looked at. It, she's like, oh, this is really cool. And then you sent then you sent me the mail, and I gave it to her, and she goes, where did you get this? And I was like, <laughs> one of the guys from the show lives in Georgia. I was like, well, this is really great. Like I, wow, this is you know, she was really excited. She you know, I was right. Like, Okay, well. <laughs> Did you sign up for the uh, Bulldog Illustrated so you get it every week? Oh, no, she may have. I have no earthly idea. Um, she actually reads emails, uh, Roger. I typically don't. Um, so, um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, like anything that's, in, anything that's important here at the house with regard to emails or, you know, and signatures or whatever, she's in charge of that because I'm just like I forward that, all that to her because I just, I don't, I'm not, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. I, you know, yeah, you're working uh, and everything. You know, came on. I was like, holy crap! I thought today, I, I forgot today was Wednesday. I had no earthly idea today was Wednesday. That's happened to I, me too. So don't feel bad. <laughs> no, I, I told him. I said we had so much going on at work last week. I worked 76 hours last week. Just half a day for most of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> but. but between work I and you have to be a little sleep. sad because your Orioles took a step back. They, they, they had a little tough time this week. Well, they lost the first two. They won yesterday. They're losing tonight. Um, certainly not over till it's over, but um, worst-case scenario, they're down four and a half after this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, anybody that would poo-poo the Orioles at this point uh, should really take a hard look in the mirror and, and really – understand that that's that's not a fair position to take i mean there's i would say less than 10 percent probably less way less than that of, of people uh that gave the orioles a chance to even be at where they are right now into september so oh i agree you with know, you way less than 10 I mean, percent yeah if they don't make way, way amen off, if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, so what? I mean, it's disappointing because of where they encroached, if you will, um, at various points in time over the course of the last month. Um, but I think what you're seeing is, and, and for the people that you know don't care about the Orioles or don't know who the Orioles are or don't watch them or, or anything else, I mean, you're starting to see the infusion of young talent. Um, well, the Blue Jays were coming on, and the Orioles were sort of plateauing. I mean, they – They'd been playing well, so well. You knew it had to be a time where they were going to take a little bit of a step back, and the Blue no, Jays were doing. Blue Jays doing just the opposite. No, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I, did, I never, I never felt that way because they had a four-game set against. I, I personally look. I mean, the Blue Jays are a good baseball team, but you know a lot of that is dollar bills that they've spent, um, and the Orioles haven't done that. So. Um, you know where the Orioles are and how they played to this point coming into the series. They've they've taken series from the Guardians. They've taken they they took the series against the Astros. So I totally disagree with with that sentiment of you know the Blue Jays. I mean, so what? I mean, they're another baseball team that, that the Orioles are going to face. I mean, the Orioles don't care 
who they play against because it doesn't matter. They're not they weren't supposed to be here. No one gave them an opportunity. They have a bunch of you know, they have an island of misfit toys when it, you know, their bullpen and a lot of the guys that they've gotten in various ways. I mean, but now you're starting to see Well I, I agree you know, with that hundred percent, but you gotta remember that at the 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 peripheral fan in Baltimore that you're talking about but that had really stayed away really mm-hmm. started to gain the momentum over the last oh six weeks, seven weeks of the season. Yeah. And, you know, they were looking when they looked at that when they looked at that Toronto series, they didn't think in terms of well we're gonna you know, we're gonna really struggle here. We're they they think right. we're gonna keep going. Agreed. Totally agree. I mean I think that there's a I, different mindset in Baltimore this year. Um because of the way we've played to this point that it doesn't matter who we play because we're not supposed to win anyway. Right. And they've won any number of games, you know, the walk-offs they had and the comebacks they've had. And, you know, it's, it, it kind of reminds me, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you that, that my wife is a Nationals fan. The year the Nationals a couple of years ago won the World Series, they were never out of a game and they had all these late game, you know, comebacks and heroics. It kind of reminds me of that. You know, you, you can't fall asleep watching an Oriole game because you just never know what's going to happen. And this particular game at hand right now, you know, it's not over until that last ball hits the glove in the in the ninth inning when there's 27 outs. It's just not over. I mean, and their bullpen is good enough that they can just keep um, – Well, they had a little the fun when they cleared the bench. When they, hit, when they cleared the bench, <laughs> it was sort of – I, I don't. I still don't know. I, I didn't uh, see the the write up on it today. It's what the, mm-hmm. what actually started. The, they speculated on MLB that it was uh, well, yelled in, you know, about a big a uh, 93 mile an hour fastball, 94 mile an hour fastball, whatever it was. But that was mm-hmm. all speculation. I didn't read what actually started the uh, the turmoil. Uh, you know, it, it's been it's been pretty cryptic here. Um, I, I was actually coming home last evening from that said fantasy football draft. Um, I probably had about a 45-minute drive home, and when I was listening to the game, you know, Brian Baker was pitching, and he's he's not a small guy. He throw, He's touched 100. He's hit 100 a couple times this year, and apparently he struck that guy out, and I guess he right. stared at the, at the Blue Jays bench, and I don't know what was said, but then all of a sudden the bench has erupted, and, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, um, you know, that can really kickstart a team in terms of, you know, you know what? We're the underdogs, and I know you guys are your payrolls a lot more than ours, and you're ahead of us, and all those sorts of things. But you know, they won that game last night, and let's see what happens tonight. I mean, I, I for the first time in five years, I feel confident with the lineup that the Orioles, you know, publish and who they put on the diamond and who they pitch and their bullpen and all those sorts of things uh, in an effort to win that game. I, I just. You know, it's like um, it was a lot of fun to watch last night. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you know the Ravens started last year. I mean, if you're, I'm telling you right now, if you're a Baltimore fan and and you're looking at the Ravens season, you're you're anticipating good things. You're anticipating wins. You're anticipating every week we play, we're going to beat somebody. And that same mantra has shifted to the Orioles moving forward. With no matter what, we're going to have a chance to win this series. And I feel confident that we're going to, um, you know, and that's with a bottom, what, third of, of a payroll. So it, it's a different mindset here, and it's it's really cool. It's nice to Roger, see. Roger, you're up. The, 
question I had, Doug, is have they or will they go over 2 million fans, the Orioles, this year? Mm, good question. I mean, they've had – Well, I think I think in large part the answer to that is um, if they stay in this playoff race, I would say yes. You think the, man, exactly the last month is going to be a, a, a good draw? Again, like I said, if, if they're if they're going to hang around this playoff race, then then I would say yes. I mean, you have um, an awful lot of fans that have been clamoring for wins. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, you, you guys know this better than anybody. Being from Philadelphia, you've had really awful years when it's come to the Phillies or you know, the Eagles or whomever, and it's just tough crowd in general. But, I mean, if you're in Baltimore, the last five years have been brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't even fun to watch baseball. I, I could care less about the Orioles and what they were doing, you know, on the field when it came to wins and losses because I knew they were terrible. And, you know, the best thing about the Orioles was when the Ravens started, you know, playing again because at least you could root for somebody to, to win. So, you know where they are right now, and and still within shouting distance. I mean, yeah, it's it's exciting. I mean, we weren't supposed to be here. It's a great feeling. You're playing with house money at this point. Um, there's nothing mm-hmm. better. No, I agree. You know, I I, uh, I I thought that that's a good barometer uh, on whether the fans have returned because if they can hit over two million uh, this yeah. year, uh, I I well, think that uh, they're in good shape. You know, Roger, we've also chronicled this over the period of time with, um, you know, individuals sitting in their household watching baseball because it's more comfortable to be on their couch and not have to wait in line mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom. And, um, you know, look, I'm 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 not a big fan of, of driving downtown in terms of going to a city. I just – I mean, I'm also a little bit further removed from, from such being in Frederick versus, you know, going to, to Baltimore. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of cities. I don't like the traffic. I don't like the parking. I don't – there's not a lot I like about it. Um, so there's, you know, obviously COVID. I mean, you have all these different reasons why, you know, fans just haven't been – I mean, look, I mean, the the cost of inflation, the cost of all these different things has gone up. You take your – you take a family of four to, a, to an Orioles game. By the time you're done with parking, by the time you're done with tickets, by the time you're done with food – I mean that's the one hell of a night when it comes to the expense that's incurred there. So, you know, if the if if the answer if the answer is let's sit on our couch and watch this and I'll make margaritas, let's go do that. You know what I mean? I mean it's different. So well, I'll tell you, I took when I was up in in uh, Pennsylvania, I took my daughter and her girls, two girls and my son and his three kids. We all went to the Phillies game, and I mean it was a hot day, and then three of the kids ran the bases. But I'll tell mm. you what. I I could not have been happier. I mean, I was sweating, and you know, I wish I was out of the sun when I was with them <laughs> to go in. Right. But I'll tell you, it was just a, a experience uh, that I'll always remember. And yeah. I have the pictures, and I look at it, you know, and because well, you know, especially when you have grandchildren, you have children; sure. they grow up in a hurry, you know. Well, and and I think Braden really wants to see. You know he's nine now. I think he really wants to see Camden Yards, and I Doug, think he's got Doug, hold it right there because we're yeah. up against the clock. Frank just told me the clock is ticking, and we're out tick, of time. Tick, tick. Roger, another good right. night, uh, Doug. Thank you so very, very much, White. Thanks to him. <clears throat>
Of course, Mike Zibzak joins us each week, too. All our guests, thank you very, very much. Frank, it's all yours. All right, thanks, Bob. Take care, Frank. Thanks for everything. Thanks. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, women and police and fire services, the doctors and nurses in the, in the hospital, the first responders, and especially those wonderful people who clean up after. <clears throat> these programs are, are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz. <clears throat> Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henry, <clears throat> Newcastle County uh, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, uh, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, <clears throat> excuse me, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrol and Charlie Condit, Carpenter Springs Police Department, uh, Lieutenant Jewish uh, Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire De- Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Crystal Lake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman and Officer Crispin Lakeland PD. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Phil- Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant uh, Jerry Ficus. Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, uh, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, all you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads always have to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
Bob, we love you, we miss you. 